Well, good morning, IPC. It's good to be uh, back from a holiday, refreshed and ready to go. Aren't holidays amazing things? They're really a blessing, and I'm, I'm thankful for the one I've just had. Um, I want to thank uh, Jeff for last week, um, uh, leading the service. Yeah, I understand the people were here. There weren't many with dry eyes uh, at the end of that uh, service, so that was a blessing. And I want to thank Steve also, our youth pastor, who's again not in the building. He's, he is in the building, but he's not with us right now. And uh, listen to his sermon and, and the blessing that, that was as well. So it was good, and I, I hope you were all blessed in it. It's great to see some folks maybe beginning to trickle back in who haven't been here for a while. And you know what? I want to thank these two couples, the Exleys and uh, the Zilkies, for sitting in the front seat. Because, you know, the, the people who organize the chairs and all the seating, they say, you know, people don't, don't stay where I put them. And then they say, nobody will sit in the front seat. Well, good job. Good job. Appreciate that. But you know, we're here, we're here today for God, aren't we? We're here to, um, to know his presence and to hear his voice, uh, that gentle whisper speaking into our lives, and, and then to respond with our whole hearts. So let's pray that God will bless us now, that he'll speak into each life that's represented here, and we'll know uh, his will for our lives. Gracious God, it's, it's good to be here today. As we gather again in, in slowly increasing numbers, God, we pray that, um, that you will bless this time. Lord, for the people who are watching at home, we pray that, uh, that you'll really touch their lives also, that they might hear from you as well and, and just get drawn into this worship that we offer you today. Lord, we recognize you're a good God and that you love us deeply and uh, that you want so much for us and for our church. So, Lord, we open ourselves to you now. Speak clearly, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you know, it's five weeks until Labor Day. And I know nobody's really keen on hearing that the summer is going to wind down. We're not there yet, but it's sooner than you'd know when you think of it. Um, and what we are hoping is that as we move toward Labor Day and beyond, we can re-engage as a church. You know what I mean by that? We will begin to be able to do, again, God willing, the things that cause us to thrive. Um, that, you know, as the, as the uh, instances of COVID uh, decrease and vaccines uh, increase that uh, we'll be able to come together and we'll be able to do worship as a, as a family again and we'll be able to do youth ministry and children's ministry and downtown ministry. We'll, we'll be able to gather in community and life groups and just have this, this experience of being the church. I don't know about you, but I'm eager for that. I'm ready for that. And we're just trusting and praying that we're not that away, far away from it. But as we prepare to return, if you would, I want us to look at uh, what... Uh, at another instance from the life of Jesus, uh, a story from the life of Christ, um, to learn, to discover how he lived, how he lived. You know, the thoughts that he had, the desires that he had, we probably don't appreciate how dramatically different Jesus was in his day to everyone else. Nor do we appreciate how differently he would be if he were with us literally today. He was different in so many ways. And of course, it's for us then to, to become like him. And we're going to go to John 13. It's a famous passage where Jesus washes his disciples' feet. Now, that was dramatically different. If you know the story, uh, they're gathering together for the Passover meal. Um, normally, feet would be washed in that culture. They would have sandals, and it was very hot and so forth. Jewish slaves would not do this task. Only Gentile slaves would do it. It was, it was demeaning. It was something that nobody wanted. But here, I, I would suggest to you, 
we catch a glimpse into the heart of Jesus. Here in this instance is, is a demonstration of how he lived. And again, dramatically different. This shocked his disciples when he actually washed their feet. And they, as you know, through Peter particularly, resisted it. They fought it. This isn't right. You can't do that. Well, what we're going to do is look at this. And, and what we're going to learn right off the bat is that Jesus wants us not only uh, to understand this instance, but all instances, but then do what he did. So I'm going to start at the end, if you would, and I'm going to read John uh, 13, and we'll start at verse 12. Um, and just listen to what he said. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? What I'm saying is we're here to understand Jesus so we can live like him. Do you understand what I have done for you, he asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. Now, we don't wash feet in this culture, but there's something here profound that will allow us to know what it means to live like Jesus, and we're going to dig in. Um... I do want to just kind of point out very briefly, verse 17, the guys don't have this, but it says, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. And I want you to keep this in mind through this whole sermon, because what Jesus is saying is live like me. Do what, think like I think, desire what I desire, act like I act, and you will find blessing. You will find deeper blessing, more profound blessing than in any other fashion. So he's calling us into this. So let me read the story. We're just going to read uh, John 13, 1 to 5, and we're going to focus on verse 1 today, and we'll do more in su subsequent weeks. It says there in verse 1, It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew, note the word, that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil was, had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Now, you know, what's, what's really obvious is, is what I've suggested. He was doing what the di disciples would not do. They were not going to lower, lower themselves to that level. They were not going to humble themselves to that extent. He, the master, washed the feet of the servants, the disciples, when they should have washed his by, uh, by normal convention. And the question I wanted to ask today is why? Why? What was going on in Jesus? Um, and, and we're going to look at this verse, verse number one, and, and, and recognize that the reason for this is rooted in the fact, as it says, it was just before the Passover festival. Um, that Jesus knew that his hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. And if we're going to grasp what, what this meant for Jesus, what was going on in Jesus' mind, we've got to understand the context. Now listen, we can think it, oh, Jesus knew he was going to the Father and he's going to leave the world just as if it's some sort of just mental awareness. But I'm telling you, there's a lot in that verse that describes the reality of Jesus' experience in that moment that we have got to take a hold of. And it's rooted in this idea of Passover. Jesus had grown up celebrating Passover every year, big deal. And it took, took the Israelites back to the Exodus when they were in slavery. Many of you will know the story. Um, under Pharaoh, 
And God sent Moses to Pharaoh and said, let my people go. And Pharaoh said, no, why would he let his economic powerhouse leave? You know, these hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people were serving the interests of that nation. So God sent plagues to force Pharaoh's hand, but time after time after time, Pharaoh resisted until the last plague was sent by God when he sent the angel of death who would ultimately take the life of the firstborn of the people of Egypt. I'm going to read this story to you. And, and as I read it from Exodus uh, chapter 12, uh, selected verses, I want you to think about what this awareness of Passover that Jesus was just days away from celebrating. Um, he's days away from his death. Remember that. What did it mean when, when he knew that he, it was time for him to leave this world? What did it mean that it was time for him to return to his father? So let me read to you. Genesis, sorry, Exodus 12. We're going to read uh, verses 3 to 7. This is God addressing Moses. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there are. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animals you choose must be your old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them uh, at twilight. They are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. So this is the basic instruction. Let's move forward to verses 12 and 13. On that same night, God's saying again, I will pass through Egypt and strike down the first born of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. And then finally, 21 to 23. Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go out at once and select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it into the blood and, uh, in the basin and put some of the blood on top, of, and, uh, on top and on both sides of the door frame. None of you shall go out of the door of your house until morning. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top <clears throat> and sides of the door frame and will pass over that doorway. And he will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. Now, Jesus, Jesus understands all that's happening here. He's completely aware of this history. He's completely aware of what they're celebrating and what God did, because that's exactly what happened. They were protected because that blood was on the door uh, frames, if you would, of their homes. But I want to tell you this. He also knew the following. As John the Baptist says, I believe in chapter 1 of John, Behold the Lamb of God who will take away the, away the sin of the world. You know, he's saying, look, we've, we, we've celebrated for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years the slaughter of lambs and the protection that it provided for us, but here is the lamb who will take away the sin of the world. You know, the reality was that Jesus was that lamb without defect, the perfect son of God, no sin in his life. You know, if he had sinned in his life, he would have died for his own sin, punished for his own sin, but he had none so that he could die in our place, die for our sin, our forgiveness. You know, 
his blood would be shed so that there might be protection from the judgment of God, the wrath of God upon us. You see, my friends, here, here is Jesus bringing to life, bringing to reality, bringing to fulfillment everything that the past overpointed toward. The angel of death would come. But my friends, there would be no Passover for Jesus. He would have to suffer and he would have to die. And Jesus' death, my friends, I'm going to tell you this as well, liberation would come for the people of God. We would be freed from the guilt and from the power of sin forever. So you see what I'm saying? See Jesus in the Passover. Jesus would have. He's days away from his death. He understands that his time has come and that the only way he's going to leave this world and return to the Father was through a brutal death. The shedding of his blood for the sin of the world. And it then says, next verse, we'll look at more next week, therefore he loved his own who were in the world and he loved them to the end. And he did two things. The immediate expression is that he washed their feet. The greatest expression of that love and the primary point of the verse is that he went to the cross. And out of love died for us, for all who would follow him. Now listen, what does this mean then? What does it mean to live like Jesus? What does it mean to think like Jesus, desire the things Jesus desires, and then to actually act out that reality? I'm just going to give you two simple points today. Number one, we must come to know, as Jesus knew. We, have come, we need to know what God asks of us, and then we need to do it. You see, you see, Jesus knew that God's plan for the salvation of the world required his sacrifice, his shed blood, so that God's people would know the protection and that they would know eternal life. He was so aware of this. And this is for us so, so important. You know, remember we talked about the, the, the story, the upper story of God and the lower story of that we participate in, the, the great plan of God for the salvation of the world, the sovereign plan of God <clears throat> that has been instituted since humans fell into sin, the restoration of the world. And Jesus was so aware of his part in fulfilling that big plan. Well, this was, if you would, his lower story as a human being. And I want to tell you, my friends, that this is where it starts from us, to come to that realization that God has a role for us to play in his plan too. Every single one of us who follow Christ, every single one of us who believe in Jesus has a role to play. Um, it's not the critical piece that Jesus played. Only he could play that. But all of us have an important piece. Can I put it this way? We have an indispensable piece to play in order for the great plan of God to be fulfilled. Do you believe that? Let me take you to Ephesians chapter 10. Uh, this is a great verse that I, that I love. I'm going to quote it from the New Living Translation. And um, uh, I want you to find yourself in this as well. It says this, For we are God's masterpiece. Now, it's a word that is taken from the arts in this day. It's like God crafted us. He created a masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. Why? So that we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. Personalize that. <laughs> You've been made new in Christ. Why? To do the things that God planned for you so long ago. The NIV says, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You know, the Bible says that God knew you before the creation of the world. That's amazing. That's a phenomenal thing. And then to know that he has prepared 
good works for all of us to do before we were even born? So that the upper story of God might be fulfilled through our love, through our acting as Jesus would act. You know, he's made us people with gifts and with talents and with personalities to accomplish God's purposes. Now let me ask you the question, do you think about your life in this light? Do you think about your life in this, in, in this way? God does. Oh, no, him and her and over there. I created them for a purpose. I got a plan for them. I know how I want to use them. I made them the way they are so they can get the job done. I want to tell you, my friends, we need to center our lives on God's desire for us, his purpose for us, his will for us, if you would. We need to seek to know it. If we don't know it at the moment, we need to pray for it, and we need to continue to pray for it until God reveals to us how he wants to get us caught up in his plan in the world as he caught up Jesus. And then we need to give ourselves to it 100% in. God, I'm here for you. I'm here to do what you have created me to do. I think of people I've known in my life. A man named David McCausland. Um, I was 10 years old, and I'm sure he was in his 70s. You know, a 10-year-old boy, he's this ancient guy, right? And he was my Sunday school teacher. Um, he was a kind, gentle man. Um, he's the kind of guy who could take, uh, you know, seven or eight 10-year-olds and really manage them well without raising his voice. You know, that kind of person. He just had that way about him. And I want to tell you, I had him as my Sunday school teacher. We call it children's ministry now here at IPC. But I had him as my Sunday school teacher for two years. And that man had a profound influence in me coming to believe in Jesus. No question about it. It's, it I don't even particularly remember what he taught me, although I'm sure he taught me a lot of things I needed to know. But he, he lived like Christ, you know? He was this example of a godly man, and I could just see the beauty and the goodness and of the rightness in it. And it just was like this magnet drawing me to Jesus. Wonderful experience. I heard a woman talk uh, not that long ago, a couple of months ago, and she said, you know, when I was a young woman, I, I served in a youth ministry at my church for several years. And to tell you the truth, I thought I, 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 I was wasting my time. I mean, I, I just wasn't making any impact in the life of the girls that were kind of assigned to me, probably a small group. Said, you know, they would talk during Bible studies and they'd, you know, they giggle about boys and the whole thing, you know, and I'm just trying to, you know, teach them Jesus. Well, it happened 10 or 15 years later that one of these girls who had become a young woman came up to, to the person I'm describing and, and said, I want to thank you dearly because you, you impacted my life. You changed my life. She didn't have a clue <laughs> what God was doing, but she came to see in hindsight what God had created her to do, Right? And how she had become part of his bigger plan. You know, this past winter, I heard about Jessica, who's over here, Shulk, and how she was volunteering downtown uh, in, in our ministry. And um, how she sat one night with one of the community members, people that we serve and, and love and feed and, you know, really care for. And they just really entered into this discussion about Jesus and what it meant to know him and love him and follow him. And Jessica, at the end of that discussion, was able to lead that. Was it a man or a woman, Jess? A man? A woman. Jess was able to lead that woman to pray that she might receive Christ. That, that Jesus might become part of her life. 
uh, and that she w- might follow him. Now listen, what is the most important thing we can do in our downtown ministry? We feed them, and we love the, those people, and we're good to them, and we try to help them in many practical ways. But the most critical thing that that woman I'm describing to you needed was to come into a personal relationship with Jesus, because out of that, everything would change. Now, why I'm telling you that is, at least in that moment, I think Jess discovered in part, what God had created her to do. I want us to take this really practically. God has a purpose, a plan. He has gifted and enabled you in order to do something, and he did it. What did that verse say? (laughs) Uh, In advance, you know, way before you were born. In order that we might become like Jesus, that we might know what God wants us to do, that we might then do it with passion and with joy. Um, Second thing that I want to bring to your attention, and it's related, and it's this, that not only we have to discover that thing and do it, we have to be willing to sacrifice in order to do it. Now listen to me. Um, Jesus would sacrifice his life to do what God the Father had asked of him. Jesus would suffer terribly to accomplish that end. He would suffer more than any human being had prior or any human being had has since. But I want to tell you, he knew, and I quote, that, his, that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to his Father. He knew it. And he was prepared to do it regardless of the cost. He was prepared to suffer and to die in order to honor his God. Here's, I think, a penetrating question that I've had to ask myself before I ask it of you. To what degree do we suffer and sacrifice for the sake of God and his his purposes? Uh, That is a significant question. (laughs) That is a big question. How much a part of that is part of following Jesus in our mind? Now, before university, I went to um, a Bible college. It's now called Tyndale University and Seminary. I tried out for the college choir, and for some unknown reason, they let me in. We practiced a lot every week, like more than you would know. Um, And we would get up early on a Sunday morning, and basically what we would do is we'd travel on a bus, and we would go to a church, and we'd set up, and we'd practice a little bit, and then we would, for the most part, lead the services, and then we'd go home. But we would start that day about 6 a.m., now, when you're 19, getting up at 6 a.m. is not a lot of fun, right? At least it wasn't for me and many of the others who were in the choir. And John Bell, who, who was the director, and, and I lived with John and Sharon for a couple of years when I went off to university uh, in Toronto, same city, he had a little saying that he came up with, and he said it often. And I mean often. And the little saying was simply this, ministry means sacrifice. Ministry means sacrifice. And he would say it before we complained, but he would say it after we complained too. Ministry means sacrifice. They are interwoven. They're not separate from one another. If we are going to serve God by doing the things that God has created us to do, it will require sacrifice on our part. It will require us becoming to some degree like Jesus. You know, the Bible says really clearly that we are to lay down our lives. You hear what I said? Lay down what? Our lives. You know, our wants, our desires, our interests, in order to honor God with our lives and to, 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 to fulfill that purpose. And, and it's an odd thing because 
So many people in the Christian world today, so many people who claim to follow Jesus, don't think in these terms. You know, they, they think about, I'm going to become a Christian for my benefit, for the sake of convenience, because it's good for me. You know, I, I come to Jesus and I get my sin forgiven. I come to Jesus and God is there to guide my life. He is there to protect my life. God is there to provide for my life. God is there so that when I die, I'll go to heaven for eternity with him. Yay, I'm a follower of Jesus. And of course, those things are all true. But I want to tell you this, to live like Jesus isn't about you or me. And what we can get out of Christianity, it is about God and what he has created us to do and the purposes of God for this world. It's a dramatic difference uh, that we, we need to understand, we need to embrace. See, see the be, being like Jesus, <laughs> whether it be washing feet or whether it's going to the cross, the Bible says we have to die to ourselves. We have to die to ourselves. Paul writes, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. Like, what does that mean? I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. What he's saying is, I, I'm gone. And my life now is lived for Jesus, for God's purposes. To discover what I can do with my whole being as did Jesus to bring the kingdom of God into this world. And I want to tell you, whether you were dying to self or lay down our, laying down our lives or being crucified as Christ was and no longer living, dying hurts. It's hard. And there are times where, you know, we're going to have to recognize that in life we just have to sacrifice for Christ, sacrifice for our Father. I'm trying to define for you what authentic Christianity is right now. You might say, oh, isn't this wonderful? Come to church, looking forward to it, and I'm being told to suffer. You are. You're being told to be prepared to suffer and being be prepared to sacrifice anything that is required of you in order for you to fulfill the purpose for which God created you. Because this is the nature of true biblical Christianity. You might have to sacrifice your time, or you will. You know, you get to choose how you use your time. And it, it won't be any more about, oh, I wonder what would benefit my life or what I want to do. Because it becomes about what would benefit my God and what would he choose for me? Completely different orientation with time. And it might be about your comfort and your convenience. I used that word convenience earlier. You know, I could do that. I could wash feet, but I really don't like the idea. <laughs> I don't want to. I've, I've thought even, and I can't say this categorically, but do you think Jesus found it fun? To wash stinking feet? Dirty? I don't, you know, my, my guess is no, because, it, you know, why would only Gentile slaves get to do it or have to do it? But he had a purpose in it and he had a heart for it and he was doing what God called him to do. You know, even the idea of sacrificing our benefits, the easiest thing in the world to do is to forget about God and what God wants and about the needs of others, which Jesus in both instances, feet washing and cross, gave himself to in order to honor his God. You know, I've thought about those three people that I've described to you. David McCausland in his 70s, Psalm 75. And in that day, by the way, um, 
Male life expectancy on average was 68. He was an old man then. I mean, 78 or 75 is no spring chicken, but you know, <laughs> we tend to live into our 80s very, very often. But do you think he got up every Sunday morning and was just thrilled to go into church to teach these 10-year-old boys or were the times he, as a 75-year-old man, would just have wanted to lie in bed and rest? I think of that woman who was working with the youth ministry people, girls, and, and the frustration she communicated. It was frustrating. She just wanted to help these kids discover the Jesus that she had come to know and love and find the wisdom and the goodness and the beauty of what it meant to follow him in spite of suffering and sacrifice. It wasn't, I don't think, fun for her. But she was called to do it. And I think about Jeff. Yeah, I'm sure you had something else you could have done that night. 101 things otherwise it would have been to Jess's benefit. You hear what, I'm, hear what I'm trying to lead you toward, my friends? It's not about us. To follow Jesus, to be a servant of Christ, to become like him, to think as he thought, and we're going to dig into this more as we go, to, to desire the things that he desired so that he ultimately lived the way that he lived, calls us to something radically different. Even in terms of our understanding of what it means to be a Christian. Oh, I believe the right stuff. Jesus is the Son of God and he died for my sin and I'm going to heaven as a result. That is foundational and beautiful and good, but that's the beginning of what we believe. <laughs> my friends, we are called to be like Jesus. You know, I, I know I could stand here and I could tell you about all the blessings that God can bring into your life. I could stand here and I did this for a season in my ministry. And I could preach biblical truth about how to bless your marriage and how you can enjoy your marriage more and how you can be a better parent and you know, create family environment and you know, how, how to deal with challenging emotions so you're not so depressed or anxious. or whatever. And there's a place for this. I don't deny that reality. But I want to tell you, when that's all that people get, it doesn't produce an authentic biblical Christian church. You know why? Because it doesn't produce an authentic biblical Christian who thinks that this whole thing exists for them. When indeed God has called us through Christ, in Christ, to follow after him, to live like Jesus, to think like him, and ultimately to act like him. Now I want to tell you, my friends, I want to go back to that verse that, that, I, that I just described to you. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. I have to throw this in here. Because if you want to find the greatest blessing that you can know as a, a, a follower of Jesus, as a child of God, you have to go through death. Think about Jesus, the glory that was awaiting him, the joy that was awaiting him. How did he get there? Through a crucifixion. Jesus talked about a seed. It has to go into the ground and it has to die before life comes. What do we have to do in order to, to find the, the fullness of life and joy and blessing in Jesus? We have to be crucified with Christ and no longer live. And it is in that place that we will know blessing like no other. It's not all bad news. As a matter of fact, it's fantastic news as we live for God. You know, I took great note of um, the song, that uh, one of the songs that we sang uh, that Jeff led us in today in the band. Good job, by the way, everyone. It was well done today. Um, but it, ta it talked about turning bones into armies. Did you note it? It's a reference, I'm sure, to the dry bones and God came along and he put flesh on the bones and it produced an army. Well, Ezekiel, I believe. 
what is God calling the church to be? He's calling us to be an army for him. That's a powerful thing. That accomplishes much. But we're only going to move from being dead skeletal bones lying on the ground. And that's the image that, uh, that is given to us by that prophet. And, 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 and rise up to become something that can be used in a mighty way for God. <laughs> when we come to this place when life isn't about us, but it's about the Lord. Now tell me, just take a moment and think about the comparison between two types of churches. One church, everybody's, oh, it's all about me and my benefit and what I want and what I can get out of it. Or, or, or a church where you have a church filled with people who are absolutely committed to knowing and doing the will of God as God has revealed it to, it, to them. And they, will, they are willing to sacrifice and suffer in order to accomplish God's purposes in the world. See, one's an army. Another's a social club, if you would. That's maybe a bit harsh. <laughs> but you get my point. When people can come to that place, my goodness, we will, we will move, as this, I believe the same song says, from, from death to life. You know, in the end of the day, I, I, I recognize this is a challenge. This, this, is, this, this is the stuff that, uh, you know, if you take it to heart, if you hear the word of God, and if you, if you embrace it, it will change your life. But you know what? That's the pathway to the blessing that I described. That's the pathway to, the, to you embracing the life that God wants you to know. That's the pathway to be an incredibly effective servant of God who participates in their lower story that God's upper story might come to fulfillment. My friends, we're going to talk more about this passage for a couple more Sundays, and we're going to learn more about living like Jesus. But can I ask you to really process these things? Process, I'm getting Americanized, process these things. To sit back with God and say, Lord, it is an incredible thing that at some point in, in eternity past, you thought of me and you developed a purpose for me, something for me to engage in, something for me to do for you. And then you created me. You formed me in the womb, the psalmist says. You, you made me the person that I am with my skills and, and aptitudes and desires and capacities, gifts, that I might do it. Will you get into the presence of God and say, Lord, if you don't know what that is already, what is that for me? Show me. Because, Lord, I'm willing. And then when the Lord shows it to you, grapple with the question now. Because ministry means sacrifice. Think about it. Are you that committed to the Lord Jesus that you are willing to suffer, to sacrifice much of your life in order to take hold of that thing that God has created for you? My friends, I pray that you will. And then in the midst of that reality, my goodness, you will know God in a new way and the power of God at work within you. And we will be an army, an army, ready to make a difference in this world for Christ. Let's pray together. And Lord Jesus, you, you were different. I mean, to think that you, the Master, would lower yourself to what your disciples weren't willing to consider. And washing their feet is an incredible thing. But Lord, we recognize that you said, now that you have sh I've shown you an example to follow, just embrace it, my people, embrace it. God, I, I just thank you that you formed every single person here, every single person who's listening online. 
You've enabled them, and you've prepared them for the good works that you have for them to do. I pray, Lord, that they'll discover those good works. I pray that you'll lead them into it by your Spirit as they just seek you and, and follow after you and, 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 and ask that you would show them. God, make them aware. And as they discover that reality, I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would use each person in a powerful way, that you would, you would bind us together as an army of people who are disciplined and, and committed and eager to see your kingdom come in power, to see evil overcome and defeated in this world as we go out into this world to love and to show your goodness and to bring, bring transformation. God, work in us. Show us your will. And give us the eagerness and the capacity and the willingness to sacrifice for you. As we pray in Jesus' name.